Yeah. I talked to my wife, Cindy, this morning. Most of you know she's in West Africa uh, right now helping to lead a team from our church. They start their medical work tomorrow. And uh, she preached this morning at Scent Church. They had a uh, worship service together with our church that we work with there and our uh, church planting network. And uh, she called me, and she had no idea how cold it is here. It's 89 in Freetown. And I said, um, I said well, <clears throat> it's 15 here, give or take, about zero wind chill. I said, what's the wind chill in West Africa right now? And she wasn't aware of what that was. Uh, she's like, oh my goodness, is it snowing? I said, not yet. And, um, but I told her, I said, we'll, we'll probably just meet in my office because nobody will be here today as cold as it is. And look at y'all. Give yourselves a hand, y'all. Good job. Way to go. Thank you for coming. And I'm so glad you're here. Well, last Sunday morning, you know, we've begun a new year and every year at First Baptist Arlington, as y'all remember, I, I take some time away in July and come back with a theme for the year. And so uh, this past July, as I was away, just praying over everything, I shared that story with y'all already. Our theme for 2024 is together. And we are going to explore what that means for us this entire year. We have produced for you a devotional guide, and these devotional guides will be available for all eight of our liturgical seasons that we have here as a church. So our first one, the winter, you'll, if you want to, you can pick one of these up. We ran out of them last week, so we've reprinted some. They're in all of our Welcome Center areas. You can also go online, of course, to access it, but <clears throat> it'll have a, a section each week. Remember, I've asked you to focus on a passage of Scripture each week rather than the daily Bible readings we normally do. And you'll have a devotional guide entitled Together in Word, and then there is a suggestion about how to take this material after you've reflected upon it biblically, theologically, spiritually, and apply it to your life. We're calling that together indeed. And so you'll find all that information in our devotional guide. Each of the liturgical seasons will accent something a little bit different about together. So for the winter, together in Christ Jesus is our emphasis. And you know that we're using the book of Ephesians the entire year. We're just going to dip our toe in the water in the winter. Uh, we're just looking at some selected passages from Ephesians. But that phrase comes from Ephesians in Christ 36 times. There's some kind of reference to being in Christ and just in the book of Ephesians. 114 times in Paul's writings, 36 times in just in Ephesians. So with that said, let's look at today's message. The text is found in Ephesians 4. So if you have your copy of the New Testament, the title of the message today is One Body, Together. And we're going to look at the first six verses out of Ephesians 4 today. So let's look at this text where Paul really begins what most New Testament scholars refer to as the ethical part, ethical section of Ephesians. We've had a theological section. Now we have an kind of ethical application. So look with me at Ephesians 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who's over all and through all 
and in all. <clears throat> so here's where I want us to begin our conversation this morning is with the call where Paul says, I want you to live a life worthy of the calling, the call of God. God calls all of us through his acts of grace, mercy, redemption, and love. When you see that word in this text, the calling of God, I want to make sure we all understand this is for everybody. You know, sometimes we use, uh, those of us that are in ministry, we use that word specifically to refer to us. And I've done that many times. I would tell you I'm called to the ministry. I believe I've been called to be a pastor in a local church. That's one way to use that word. And, and it's an appropriate use of that word. In this text, though, that's not the emphasis. This is the calling of God in everybody's life. So this is for all of us. And whenever Paul uses the word calling in this text, here's what he's really doing. He's referring back to and he's gathering up everything God has done for you. And he has outlined many of those things in the book of Ephesians. So when Paul says this calling, he's referring to what God has done. So it's, a, it's the testimony of Ephesians 1 through 3. So what has God done for you? How would you put it? What, what has God done for you as a Christian? I'm sure that you could write out a few things of, from your perspective, what you believe God has done for you. Well, Paul refers to in, in chapter 1 of this letter, in verse 18, he talks about the hope to which God has called you. He uses that same word. But then, if I could, I'd like to go back to Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 and just give you a quick list of everything God has done for you mentioned in Ephesians. Is that okay? It's not everything. It's not exhaustive. It's just what he mentions in Ephesians. And this is what he means by calling. It's God's call on your life. God's call comes with what he's done for us. Okay? So what has he done for you? Well, in Ephesians 1, Paul says he's blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He has also chosen you before the foundation of the world. He has destined you to be adopted into his family. He has redeemed you through his blood. He has forgiven you of your sins. He has lavished his grace upon you. He has revealed the mystery of his will. He has sealed you through the work of his Holy Spirit in your life for eternity. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And because of his great love and his mercy and his grace, he's made you alive now in Christ. He has raised you to seat you in the heavenlies one day. By grace, he has saved you. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 10, you are his masterpiece. The Greek word is poema. We get our word poem or poetry from that. You are, you are God's masterpiece. You're his workmanship. He has brought you near to himself. He has made you a fellow citizen along with all of God's people. He has welcomed you into his household. In fact, he has included you in the construction of a new temple and you are now a part of that new temple, that new body of believers. He is revealing through you the church, the manifold wisdom of God and he has connected you to his eternal purposes. Can we just say thank you God? 
That's just in Ephesians. <laughs> That's what he's done for you. That's what he means when Paul says he's called you. Well, when he called you, he did all of that for you. You know, our Old Testament, it's what we call it, um, uh, Genesis through Malachi. You know, the Jewish people, that's not their name for the Old Testament. They don't call it the Old Testament. Um, oftentimes, they call it the Tanakh, which is a, a word that's derived from the, the actual sections of the material. But the actual word that the Hebrews use to describe their Bible is the word mikra. And the Hebrew word mikra is actually built around the Hebrew word to call. So even, even the Jews refer to the Bible as the calling of God. In other words, Eugene Peterson says, the Bible is not a book you carry around full of information. It's the voice of God in your life that you're supposed to listen to. And so you and I have been called by God, all of us. Now, with that said, I want us to look next at the command in this text. Um, this is only the second imperative word in the Greek in Ephesians. You know, the New Testament's written in Greek. And Greek's a very specific language. The moods of the Greek language are how you understand the import and the meaning. And so this particular word is in the imperative mood. What that means is it's not a suggestion. This is a direct command from God through Paul to me and you. Well, what is the command? Well, the command is we're to walk like we've been called. That's the command. You find it in verse 1. Look, look at what Paul says. He says, as a prisoner actually in the Lord, he says, I'm urging you, I am strongly challenging you to do this, he says, to live a life, the NIV translation. The Greek word is uh, walk. To walk in a way that's worthy of the calling with which you've been called, is what the Greek text says. So here's the challenge. Here's the command from Paul. Walk. Walk like you mean it. Walk like you've been called. That, that image is used throughout Ephesians. Here in chapter 4, verse 1, it's found in verse 17. Found in chapter 5, verse 2. Chapter 5, verse 8. Chapter 5, verse 15. Walk. It means to live your life in a certain way. God has done all of this for you that I just described. Live like it is his command. Now, it's interesting. We've talked about this before, but let me just remind you. The imagery that Paul uses here in verse 1, again, if you look back at your text, live a life worthy. Y'all see that word? Worthy. Paul borrows that word and that image from the Greek marketplace. The Greek word is axios. What does that mean? Well, it's a word that Paul borrowed from the street market. And here's, here's kind of the image. Let me just describe it to you. Y'all are familiar with... Um, a set of scales, right? Where, like you have this, this vertical piece with a base, and then you have a horizontal piece that's connected to that vertical piece. Then you have the chains or the ropes that go down on either side, and then you have the containers at the bottom. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So you've got the scales that are kind of like this. In the Greek world, the street market Greek, here's what would happen. Let's just say that you wanted to purchase, now they wouldn't have said it this way because they didn't use our measurements, but let's just say you wanted to purchase a pound of sugar or a pound of grain or a pound of flour, whatever. You would go to the merchant and the merchant would have these scales and the merchant then would show you a weight and you would agree upon the fact that this weight weighs one pound, okay? 
So he would place it on one side of the scale. Well, guess what happened when he did that? What would the scale do? It would tilt. So then he would take the grain or the sugar or the flour or whatever else, whatever it was you were buying, and he would start pouring it into this container on this side, and guess what would happen? Eventually, it would finally get to where you were like this. And whenever you were like this, the Greek word was axios, worthy, balanced. Okay, so Paul takes that image and he makes a spiritual application to me and you. You have been called by God. And I just talked about what all that means. And there's more to it than just what I mentioned out of Ephesians. My goodness, there's so much God's done for you. Here's the picture that Paul's painting for you. Put all of that on this side of the scale. Everything God has done for you. His calling in your life. He's chosen you before the foundation of the world. He's adopted you as children. He saved you by his grace. Right, y'all with me? So guess what's happened to the scale? Like this. Paul says, now, take your life and live worthy. So your goal is for you not to walk around like this your whole life because you don't do anything. You know, some theologians say there are people who have a million dollar salvation in a 10 cent Christian life. They live their whole lives like this. They just never even respond. It's, it's kind of ho-hum. But not y'all. No, not y'all. My goodness, you braved the elements just to get to church this morning. Obviously not y'all. I'm talking to them, but I just hope you might see them and you tell them what I said, okay? <laughs> talking to y'all right now. So here's the thing. You don't want to die like this, right? You, you don't want God to say, seriously? I put all of this over here and you, and you did nothing? You, you, you just let it all go as if this whole thing is just me? No, you don't want to. You want to now, you're never going to get like this, right? I mean, come on. God's done so much. But you can at least start living and start putting some things on this side of the, of the scale. Paul says our goal is to be worthy, to, to live your life in such a way that this thing starts to move in a certain direction. In other words, are you a Christian? Then live like it. Talk like it. Pray like it. Give like it. Serve like it. Worship like it. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, come on, church. Live like this matters. Look at what God has done for you. And so the command is we're to walk like we've been called. Now, how does it look in everyday life? Because that's, that's really what matters. How's, how am I supposed to live this out? Well, the good news is the Bible has much to say about that. In fact, this text has something to say about it. Paul says, when you're redeemed... You're adopted in the family of God, and now you become a part of something incredible, the church. The church. You see, our calling is lived out in community with other fellow travelers through the body of Christ. Here's the good news, y'all. You don't have to do this right here just all by yourself. You see, you, you need some help. You need each other. See, if, I, if I'm going to live a life worthy... I learned a long time ago, I need, some, I need some fellow believers. I need some folks who've, who are committed to this like I am. I need some folks maybe who are a little further down the road than I am who are going to help me learn better how to do this. And the beautiful thing is God has called us to live together in community in the church. Okay? Now, I get it. I understand. I know how some people feel about the church. I, trust me, I know. I see 
I hear people all the time, yeah, the church. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I know how the church is. Well, let me tell you what the church is. It's the bride of Christ. It's the body of Christ. It's the community of the people of God. Um, Eugene Peterson has written this wonderful little book years ago called Practice Resurrection. I'm so grateful that Peterson decided to do this. He was a pastor for many, many years. And, uh, and he decided that he wanted to teach a, a curriculum in seminary called spiritual theology. And if you know anything about seminaries, um, coming up with a new curriculum and a new way to approach something is not most seminaries' forte. Um, they pretty much already have in mind what you're supposed to study. He wanted to teach spiritual theology, and so he was challenged, well, then, can you write the curriculum? So he did. He wrote five books that serve as the curriculum for spiritual theology. This is one of them, uh, Practice Resurrection. He's talking about what happens to you when you become a Christian. You're in this conversation with God. Okay, remember, God's calling on your life. He's the voice that you listen to. You then respond to him in your conversation with him. Let me read you this section of what he has to say about that. He says, but as our language becomes more personal, it also becomes more interpersonal. This is a multi-voiced conversation. It cannot be narrowed down, reduced to a private Jesus and me in the garden alone exchange of words. There are to be sure plenty of occasions when we are by ourselves on the road, listening and speaking, hearing the still small voice and whispering responsively to our Lord, these are authentically precious moments. Here's one of my all-time favorite lines of Eugene Peterson. He says, but we soon learn that we cannot have Jesus all to ourselves. If we are to get in on all that is going on in this adventure called life that we live responsibly into, we must extend the conversation to include the others whom God is calling, the others who are walking in response to the call. The life into which we grow to maturity in Christ is a life formed in community. The Ephesians letter shapes our imaginations to an awareness, not only of ourselves, but of all the other pilgrims on the road in simultaneous diversity and unity. This company of called fellow travelers, all different and all one, is the church. That's who we are. We're the, we're the company of the called. We're fellow travelers. And guess what? We need each other. You see, I need you. You need me. We need to do life together. And so consequently, Paul says, here is the way you live out this calling. You live it out in the context of these relationships. You live it out in the context of being a part of a community known as the church. Well, how does it look? Well, he describes it for us. Walk this way. So look at verse 2. He says, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, love, Peacekeeping. That, that's how it looks. So think about that with me this morning. Notice what it says, verse 2. The text says, here's how it should look. Be completely humble. We could just stop right there. Wow, be completely humble. The Greek word has the idea of lowliness in mind. It doesn't mean that you're to think less of yourself. It means you're to think of yourself Less. <laughs> be completely humble. Well, I'll be honest with y'all. Humility, it's, it's a hard thing. If you're not careful, you can be proud of being humble. You know? 
And then all of a sudden, it's eluded you, you know? I mean, you, can, you, you think about it, man, I was really humble today, man. You should have seen me, honey. I'm just telling you right now, I just kind of, I kind of walked in there kind of lowly in mind. It was awesome. I know God is so proud of how I handled that. Um, he says, in your relationships in the body, be humble. Think of others, in other words. Then he says, gentleness, be gentle. You know, y'all, let's be honest. We don't always take that as a compliment, do we? You know, he's so, um, you know, he, he's just gentle, awesome. <clears throat> well, guess what? That word describes Jesus. Jesus was meek and lowly. It's a characteristic of Christ. We're to be gentle in our relationship with each other. We're to be thoughtful, if you will, about the needs of my brothers and my sisters in the church. And I'm to have a, a softer edge when I deal with them. Because what I'm going to discover is I'm going to need this next one, patience. You see that one? You know, in the, in the Greek New Testament, there are two different words for patience or endurance. One of them is hupomone, which means to be patient with circumstances. But this is macrothumia, which means to be patient with each other. I'll be honest with y'all. I'm a little better at being patient with circumstances than I am with people. How about y'all? I can bear up under circumstances. Sometimes y'all get on my nerves. I'll just be honest. Uh, you know, it just is what it is. It's just hard to be patient with a real, live, other human being. Because what I've discovered about human beings is they're just all different. And they see the world differently. And every one of us find ourselves thinking this at some point in a situation. Man, if y'all could just all see this the way I do, this would be so much better. Because I know I'm right about it, and I'm going to wait till you figure out how right I am, Okay. That's what we mean by patience. That's not what this word means. This word means to abide in relationships even when it's a little dicey, even when it's going to require something out of you. Be patient with each other. So how am I supposed to be walking? How, how, am, I, how am I filling up this side of the scale, so to speak? Well, I'm being humble. I'm thinking of others. I'm, I'm being gentle in my relationships at the church. I'm, I'm being patient and then maybe my favorite one is next. The NIV translates it like this, bearing with one another. Did y'all see that? You know what it actually says in the Greek text? Put up with each other. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, I'm trying to put up with you. I am trying. I am trying to put up with you. It's not easy, okay? Don't you love how the Bible just gets right down into your business? I mean, I love how Paul says, and, hey, y'all, and, let's put up with each other. Now, why would he say that? Because he was a human being in a church. He knew what it was like. He knew how it can get like this sometimes and friction and disagreements and struggles. And because the thing is, we're just different. But notice what he says. Put up with each other in love. In love. The Greek word there's agape. It's God's kind of love. It's a, it's a love of the will. It's a, it's a choice that you make. It's not that touchy-feely kind of love. It's, it's, it's love that's strong, that's durable, in other words, you say, in the church, I'm going to relate to you this way. Even if I disagree with you, even if you and I see things so differently, you're in my church, and I care about you, and I'm going to do my best to be gentle and be patient, and I'm going to put up with you, and I'm going to expect that favor in return, <laughs> you know? I mean, the Bible says that you reap what you sow, right? So if you sow this a little bit, who knows, you might reap some of it as well. That's kind of how it works in the body. And then Paul kind of sums it all up in verse 3. Paul says, let me, let, me just, let me just put it all in there 
for you. Okay, are y'all still with me? Okay, so let's, let's put it all under an umbrella. What does that look like? Paul says, well, do this. Be zealous. Use your energy. Make every effort to keep something. Now, you don't manufacture it. You, you can't produce it on your own. You can't make it happen. You can't undo it, but you can't make it happen. Paul says, I want you to do everything you can to keep what? Unity. Paul says, let's, let's give our energy here being patient and humble and gentle and listening and thinking of others and putting up with one another and bearing with one another and pouring out your love toward one another in spite of all of our diversity and all of our differences and all the things that can challenge us that, that we know can be difficult. Paul says, do all of that so that you can keep something precious that's a gift from the Holy Spirit. And what is that? That's the unity of the body. You see, the unity in a church is not manufactured by each individual church. That's not how it works. The Spirit of God brings unity to the church, and then you and I protect it. We keep it. That means that, that you and I are enemies of division. We're enemies of it. We're enemies of divisiveness. Things that sow seeds of discord in the body of Christ. We're opposed to it. Because we know how important it is to, for there to be unity in the body. For people to see God's people coming together in spite of differences in diversity. It's incredibly important. If there's ever been a time in America where people need to see examples of people who are really different living together in unity, wouldn't y'all agree it's got to be right now? Seriously. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. The whole political season starts again. How long will we have to put up with it, y'all? Seriously. Does it have to go all the way to November? Can we just do something? I mean, here we go. What's it going to be like? These next, what is this, January? These next 11, what's it going to be like? They're terrible. They're, they hate America. They're, they're going to destroy our country. No, you're going to destroy our country. You're terrible. You're awful. Well, you don't believe in that. Well, you don't believe in that. You don't, well, I don't believe in you. Well, I don't believe in you either. I mean, it's just... And we're just going to have to watch. And there's nothing you can do about it. It's just going to, the deluge. It's amazing people can stay at a church in America in 2024. It's almost like you got to go somewhere where everybody's just like you. And the next thing you know, you're going to boil that thing down to where it's just you. Because nobody thinks just like you. Here's what I believe. The church is supposed to be a colony of heaven on earth. It's supposed to be an outpost Showing the world, here's what it could be like. You see, it could be like this. You don't have to be like that. You can be, but you don't have to be. You can be like this. Well, how in the world do y'all all go to church together? Well, because you see, we're following Jesus together. And we've got a calling on our lives that's bigger, believe it or not, that's bigger than all of this. Bigger than what you think. This is something that has eternity at stake. And people's lives, their destinies are at stake. And we take it really seriously. So guess what we do down there at First Baptist Arlington? We put up with each other. We're patient with each other. We're not always humble, but we're trying. You know why? Because of the love of God. And we're doing our best to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace because we believe you need to see it on display. And that's where we engage in it. Now, let me just say this to y'all. The good news is we couldn't do this on our own. There's no way you can do this on your own. You just can't. There's nothing deep enough to hold us all together. There's just not. Now, we think there might be. No, there's just not. I mean, think about it. We, we, could all, um, we could all be the same political party. That's still not big enough. 
It's not deep enough. We could all be Americans. That's not big enough. We could all be Baptists. Well, heaven knows that ain't big enough. How many Baptists are there in America? Um, no, we, we could all come from the same neighborhood. That's not good enough. We could, all, we could all be at the same socioeconomic level. That's not enough. Y'all, none of that's big enough. It's just not. It's not going to hold us together. It's proven over and over and over again. There is something big enough, though, and that's the connection. You see, we're all connected through the theological oneness that only God can provide. Only God. That's why I love what Paul says starting in verse 4. Paul says, here's how it's possible. Here's how you can live in unity and you can stay together and you can find your way. Look at verse 4. He says, there's actually one body and one spirit. There's, there's one body of believers, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one, there's one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There's only one Lord, Jesus. There's only one faith in him. There's, a, excuse me, there's only one baptism. You may say, now wait a minute, preacher. Sometimes it's infant baptism. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about being baptized by the Spirit of God into the family of God. There's only one of those. At redemption, the Holy Spirit of God baptizes you. And guess what? Look at verse 6. There's only one God. And he's the Father of all, over all, through all, in all. Praise his name. So how can we do it? Well, <laughs> because of who he is. You see, the church, the church can be the leader in this culture. The church can, can show the way. The church can. Now, the church can lose its way. And we want to be careful not to lose ours. We want to be thoughtful. We want to be, want to be that church that, that demonstrates diversity and unity, humility, grace and patience and love. Yeah, we want to be that church. Um, you know, I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama during the civil rights era. And um, I was a little boy, so a lot of it I, I don't remember, but I do remember enough. And I'm old enough to remember Martin Luther King Jr. coming to visit Birmingham, Alabama. And I would just tell y'all, my hometown, we never treated Dr. King well. He was never welcome in our community by the powers that be. Sometimes he would find himself in jail in Birmingham. He'd be harassed. It was a difficult um, season in our history, a sad chapter in our country. But Dr. King tried to provide the leadership. He wasn't perfect either, but the voice he had was powerful. And on one occasion, he found himself in jail in Birmingham. And so he wrote a letter to the pastors in the community, the leaders in the community who, who actually agreed with him about the cause. They disagreed about the method, but they agreed with the cause. Let me just read you an excerpt from that letter from Martin Luther King Jr. in 1963. He says this, there was a time when the church was very powerful. It was during that period that the early Christians rejoiced when they were deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was the thermostat that transformed the mores of society. I love that imagery. You see, the church is supposed to be more like a thermostat. <laughs> Set the tone for conversations. Provide the context for how to deal with social issues. You don't have to always agree, but it can, it can set the tone. The church should be at the forefront of those kinds of conversations, not with an angry voice, but with a thoughtful, God-guided, spirit-laced, Christ-centered kind of voice. 
See, I believe that's still possible. And I believe for us as a church that you and I need to commit ourselves to what's taught in this text. If we want to be that kind of church, then we got to do this right here. We got to live worthy. We all do. And so when I think about 2024, I've thought about what's the Lord calling me to. You know, uh, there have been seasons in my life where I like to make New Year's resolutions and then times when I don't. But I would tell you, this is the text that's captivated my attention. This is what I want to do. I want to be humble, gentle, patient. I want to put up with people in love. I want to work toward the preservation of the unity of the Spirit of God in a congregation. See, I want to do that. I want to invite you to that. Because I realize that some people think, man, the church. Let me tell you what, if you'll commit yourself to that, give it a year and let's just see what happens. Why don't you give it a year and say, all right, I'll tell you what, this year I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to look at Ephesians 4 and I'm going I'm to try to live that way. Every day. Every day. I'm going to say, ma'am, today, all right, where did, I, where did I need to exercise humility? Today. Not just talk about it, not just read about it, not just think about it. I'm talking about, where, where, where did I see that on display in meeting? What, today, what, but where was I really gentle? How was I able to not compromise what I believe and yet somehow communicate that in the right way. Who did I have to put up with today? And how did God give me the grace to do it? What, what little thing did I do today that contributed to the preservation of the unity of my church in the bond of peace? That's what I want to invite you to. That's what I intend to do this year. I want it to be lived out in me and through me. And I know I'm, I'm not perfect. And there are going to be times when I'm going to struggle. But I want you to know I'm not measuring myself against myself. If I measure myself against myself, I'd be doing good. I'll make 100, right? Because I'm looking at myself and go, man, Dennis, dude, you, you, you got it going on. You're a man of God. You got a bunch of heathens running around this town. You know, I bet God's looking down from heaven going, thank God for Dennis Wiles. So glad. Woo, baby, so glad I got him down there. Who knows what this thing would be without him. I'm going to measure myself against myself. I'm always going to make 100. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to measure myself against a better standard that I believe is revealed through the Word of God. That's how I'm going to measure myself. Let's do it. I want to invite you to it. Let's, let's be that. And let's see what God does through us and how he uses us as we engage this new year in front of us. Klein Snodgrass has written a wonderful commentary on Ephesians. He said, if you want to do what's described in Ephesians 4, he says, do this. Renounce self-centeredness, renounce harshness, renounce the tyranny of your own agenda, and renounce your rights. Try that, he says. And then our goal is to build a fellowship that continues to deepen. So this week, in your biblical focus for the week, it's outlined in our devotional guide. Ephesians 3 1 through 13 is going to be the guide for the week. And then, together indeed, is going to be some suggestions from our staff. Ways that we can deepen our fellowship as believers and live a life that is worthy of the calling with which we've been called. Let's do it, y'all. May it be so. Let's pray. Father, today we are grateful for how you've been at work in our lives Certainly how you've been at work in the life of our church. Thank you. And today, Lord, as we spend some time reflecting upon what all that means and how to live it out, I trust that you would have your way and your will in us. And we pray that in Jesus' name.